right, everyone, it's your girl, Sim the Motivator, and we are back for another episode of a Conscious Blend podcast. Today, we're rocking with my girl, Chris, um, who is a higher ed admin, and we are definitely going to be spending some time talking about the current state of our public school system. So what up, girl? Hey. <laughs> Yes, the current state of our public school system. I guess from the higher ed perspective, we get the end product. So um, who is that end product? Is it a beautiful cake or is it, you know, play gone wrong? It's like manish water served as gazpacho. <laughs> that's that's what it's like. <laughs> it's like cold manish water. You know, it's good if you warm it up, but you know, you don't have no fire, no, no hot water, no gas. So you drink it cold. That's, that's what it's like right now. Let's break that down for our non-Jamaican listeners. (laughs) Water, AKA goat head soup. We know it may sound, the name might sound terrible, but it is is a delicacy. It is a delicacy. (laughs) It is one of I think people say the best soups that come out of Jamaica actually had some last week and yo the pepper that joint (laughs) cleared up all types of if you had COVID and you drank some badish water it would your next test would definitely be negative (laughs) (laughs) like oh my gosh so but the good thing about it what makes it a delicacy is it takes all day to cook Mm -hmm. because you have to boil out the whole goat head before you add all the good stuff so the yam the banana the dumpling all of that so like you know it's only served for like holidays but imagine yep yep and imagine if the chef made goat head soup yesterday and brought it and didn't warm it up so that is the current, that's the product that we're kind of getting. It's like all the pieces are there, but it's just not right because it's just something wrong with it. It's like nobody want to eat cold boiled dumpling. Like nobody wants to eat that. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's kind of. It's like a cold patty. It's like, it can't work, but. You just don't want it. No. That's not what you, it's like. You asked for dump boiled dumpling, but what you got was cold. It's just there's just the disconnect of what you really should be receiving and what you actually get. So that's how um, I see the state of education right now from the higher perspective. Just a disclaimer: I don't really teach, um, but I receive like a lot of the data for at least a science school. Um, where I work so I get to see like you know how the incoming freshmen are and so the current state of the 18 and 19 year olds that we're getting they're very weak um not all of them but a good amount and that's like the Bloomberg I call them the Bloomberg kids okay yeah but I think it's also important that we let people know that we are not against public school education. We are both products of public school education. Um, We're products of CUNY education we met in in grad school. And we're actually an undergrad together, but didn't know. Yeah, yeah, we didn't know each other. Um, You currently work for a public college. College. Mm -hmm. I work for a public high school. So we know there there are there are benefits to the system the system can work it's just that you know some of the people or tools that are currently in place have this thing tasting like cold boiled dumpling yeah no that's exactly what it is um like so for instance like the public school kids some of them are coming out very weak, but then depending on what school they're coming from, which is unfortunate, they come very strong. And some of that strength has to do with the foundational education. So where they went to elementary school makes a big difference. And parent involvement makes the biggest difference because I, like based on my experience right now as a parent in a public school that is labeled a failing school, um 
that has low test scores and everything. I really can't complain about the school. It's not the teachers. It's not the teachers. Like there are things that I think they need better. Like they may need a better parent coordinator. They may need someone to run their social media or their website, but the teachers and the material itself is actually pretty good. And what I did find is the parents or the parent involvement is what the issue really is. Like imagine we're fully remote and one of the kids in your section is sleeping, like straight up sleeping. And this is like a four-year-old at the time. So you have the para call the mom and the mom is like, well, wake her up. We don't live with you, sis. I don't really <laughs> understand it. Like that seems to be like everything is coming out now. COVID is bringing everything out. Mm -hmm. And this whole thing of schools needing to reopen it doesn't matter. Other places are opening. And it's like, well, it's 30 of your kids that are in one room and you feel that's okay. You know, it's really not. But the truth of the matter is you're tired of your own snot monster. Yeah. You don't know how to deal with your kids. So it's time for them to come back to the babysitters. Who cares if the babysitters have been sick? Who cares if they are high risk? Who cares if they go home to people who are high risk? You just know you need your kids out of your house and it to me that's so telling of like american culture american culture a, a lot of people are just selfish mm -hmm. well it's like american culture is capitalistic um it's about individual wealth individual value based on money and that's the problem like you know i'm jamaican american like i've been to infant school for a little while and it's just the environment is different. Like in the West Indies, the idea of a custodian doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Like you clean up after yourself. Up after There's yourself. no, the kids clean up after themselves. There's no custodian that's coming there to clean up after you. There's nobody that really has that job. And if you want to revitalize their school, Everybody know Labor Day is the day where you go in and you do community works, where you go paint your school, right. where you clean up and do all that stuff. And Labor it's Day just like- just about a cooking out. Yeah. But it's just the con those type of concepts that exist in American culture to make things easier, easier. It takes away ownership. So it's like, imagine if the kids had to take care of the school building that they were in, they would feel more ownership towards the school and they mm -hmm. would care more. So I don't think it's so, it, ownership is a big part of it, but it's the entitlement that tends to go along with it. So it's like, mm -hmm. entitled to it, I own it, so you take care of it. It's not, I own it and I want to make sure it looks good. So when you yeah. get a lot of the kids now, and even the adults, I can't blame um, only the kids, but there are adults who will, it's okay if the kids throw something on the floor. Oh, the custodians will get it later. No. Pick it up. Pick it up. Mm -hmm. Pick it up and put it in the trash like learn to and and that's the mentality that a lot of people have it's like i don't have to do it because somebody else will take mm -hmm. somebody else will take care of it you leave the food on the train you eat they put it under the seat somebody else will clean it, it becomes somebody else's problem and i think that's what it is with school as well right mm -hmm. with the um what's the thing the social promotion it's like oh yeah I'm tired of Johnny, so I'm gonna just move him along and he will be somebody else's problem. Yeah. And and the thing is, and also the parents don't listen to the teachers. Like I asked my daughter's teacher, what does she need? And she's like, she's fine. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> Tell me the truth. <laughs> you know, like she, like I've actually gave like, we had our parent teacher conference and I told her, I'm like, you know, you're doing a really good job. You know, I do think you should do more of this. I think they do need 
need a little bit more homework. Can we move along? And she's like, well, I was trying to give the other kids time to catch up. I'm like, them kids just sleep. I was like, and I named all the kids because we, you know, if you're doing remote with your kid, you actually supposed to be there with your kid. And like, I know all the kids' names. I know who sleeps and who don't. I know who I could tell who, which parent is home based on what the kid is doing. Mm. Because sometimes daddy lets things do, go on that mommy be quick to nip that. So you could tell when somebody's home with their dad versus someone's home with their mom. Like it's it's so it's crazy because you have a little one. So this is preschool. And you would mm-hmm. think your parents should be more involved, like get the kid up. You're not expecting a four or five-year-old to wake up on them, their own and get ready for school. But the truth of the matter is, in some places they do. Because mm-hmm. back home, it's not uncommon to see two or three or five little ones walking to school together at four or five years old. And nobody's bothering them. Like people know by a certain time you see them walking, you know, and going to school. But then I'm here in high school and kids not waking up and the parents home talking about, oh, I called to them. So I thought they they were making it to class. But then when it come at me as as a teacher, it's like, well, why is my kid failing? Because your kid hasn't shown up since November. And you don't respond to the emails I send. You don't respond to the phone calls that teachers make. Mm-hmm. You don't answer the door when the when they show up for a home visit. So what else? Please tell me what else are we supposed to do? I don't know. Live there. Yes. Like it's it's literally like that. Like you know, I'm tired of watching this little girl sleep, and she only does it when her dad is home. And then it's just like the power will call and be like. Um, can you please wake her up? She's sleeping. Wait, she's asleep her, on camera? On camera. She signed herself in, or sometimes her dad would sign her in. She's in bed, and he just stick the camera in her face. Just <laughs> right there. <laughs> and just walk out the door. It's, she's four. Wake her up. Put her at the kitchen table. Give her a snack. Something. Wake her up. They don't do that. They don't do that. Like, they just like some of these kids, like there's one kid, he's like a really good kid, smart. And he's helping his little brother who's in 3K get on to his meetings. And he's for, so he's taking responsibility for himself and his younger sibling. And, you know, he does, he never does the homework, but he knows everything that goes on. That's so unfair. At four years old, why do you have that responsibility? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, this thing that people are talking about where they have to make up for the loss of learning, you know, we have to make up for this loss of learning. It's not that teachers aren't aren't busting their behind. Like teachers are out here grinding hard. Teachers are busting their ass. They they're grinding hard. Yeah you know and but parents aren't helping on the other end they're not picking up this the slack so the loss of learning is not because teachers aren't doing things being even more creative you know normally when we get our teacher's choice when you're in the building that 250 don't doesn't go far this year when we really needed that teacher choice buddy to (laughs) decorate bedrooms and living rooms and basements with stuff from Dollar Tree or wherever they take the money but it's like oh, but you guys got it you you could get it done it, it's ridiculous like I really empathize for y'all because it's like they act like y'all are magicians and that's not it like the parents need to parent like you know it's it's rough like right now I'm helping the teacher like I'm creating a solar system module um but you know just like she I noticed that she does a combination of like storybooks with like videos with songs in it or whatever mm-hmm. so I'm making one up for her on the solar system because I asked like my friend who is a NASA ambassador to come talk to them about space because the the school organized one and it was for like bigger kids and I was like look <laughs> let's do something real 
Like y'all should have just asked me. <laughs> like, I don't know why you brought this lady here. She do like, it was so bad. It was like a job talk for oh, an interview. Yes. And I'm just like, sis, nobody care about your Instagram. They're six. Like what's going on? So I was like, okay, I'll make something up. And you know, she's like, can I share it? with 3k I was like yeah I'm like Amara knows everything about the solar system so this is just a repeat of you know how I taught her and she's like really I was like yeah so you know but you know this I blame charter school I would just put it out there <laughs> I blame charter school for these expectations and what they have parents thinking education looks like mm -hmm. like basically the and there are some good charter schools there are some good ones um but there are others especially when the, i'll call it the charter school boom first mm -hmm. hit. and like waiting thanks to mayor bloomberg thanks to bloomberg <laughs> remember when waiting to superman yeah superman came out and everyone wanted their child in the charter school because smaller classes and you know kids are going to get all these opportunities and you know they're going to get them dressed you know ready for success in the workplace and this that and the third and then but when you peel back the curtain when you look at what they're really doing right and i'm getting those kids now at the high school level you're getting them in college and realize mm -hmm. they really don't know anything beyond the formulas that they have been taught mm -hmm. like they they have literally been taught to the test so yeah in you know, do the deductive reasoning, so to speak, for the multiple choice questions. They know how to pick certain information to form an essay, but critical thinking skills, common sense. Yeah, nah, they, they don't know none of that. They don't, they don't have it. Their problem solving skills, a lot of them, they don't know how to think abstractly, like everything has to be concrete for them like one bottle plus two bottles it's fine they can see that but you tell them to pull from ideas or think outside the box and they're staring at you like you have six heads yeah i mean you could find that anywhere in higher ed it's like they know structure but not function mm. so they know how to do things they know where things are but to apply it to use they can't do it mm -hmm. so they make these kids functional but robots and i i do find a problem with it because a lot of them they come in extremely empowered which is good but underprepared <laughs> and it's just like it's fine that you have them you know you do your pep rallies and all this other stuff get the kids pumped up but they're not prepared case in point the montessori model that a lot of these new like these suburban because remember urban suburban mm -hmm. from class those they're they're adopting the montessori model where it ain't no homework kids free learn all that other stuff those kids outperform the kids who are taught to the test and then they come to college and they're they're empowered and prepared right so like you see the difference between kids from baldwin long island versus kids from brooklyn like you know there's just like a wide range and the range is because of how empowered the teachers are the parental involvement and the fact that they're not teaching them to the test they're teaching them to think which is different yes so you know just based on like the student body i've seen and how these kids coming from these well-known charter schools are struggling in algebra yeah and it's just like 
you know, I thought they knew this stuff. They, they know don't. a formula. Yeah. They and they, they they could barely, I mean, they they barely pass. And then they repeat these classes and they blame the teacher, they blame their instructors, they blame their professors when it's just like you learn nothing. <laughs> it's like it's like y equal mx plus b. Use this to make a line that looks like this. They'll look at it be like, I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because I get, so I'm at a, a, a consortium school. So we do a lot of project-based learning. Um, we're not stuck on the regions. It's really like, take this idea and show us how you can apply it to real life. And when I get them in ninth grade, one of my things is I'll give them a, a question. Let's say we're, we're looking at um, cultural identity, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell them, you know, write, write an essay on your background, you know, your cultural background and why that's important to you. I'm a strong believer in just give the information. It's the same way how I write things in school. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't write a lot, but I get all the information in there. So I don't like to pigeonhole the students into like, it must be, you know, five pages or two pages or whatever it is. If you can give me the information and you've explained it well, cool. Whether If it takes you two paragraphs or it takes you a page, that's fine. And something I hear a lot, the kids come back and they're like, so how many paragraphs do you want? I'm like, just write. <laughs> just write, like answer the question. And it's like, oh, so it shouldn't be a certain number of paragraphs? No, I need you to answer the question. And then we go, and every year we go through the same thing where it's like, look, I need you to answer the question thoroughly. So if you can answer it in two paragraphs, fine. If it takes you 10 paragraphs, fine, whatever it takes. Or I get one long paragraph and I'm like, what is this? And they were like, oh, you said to write a page. You didn't say to break it up into paragraphs. And I'm like, <laughs> what? But didn't you learn that each new thought is a paragraph? We didn't learn this in school. They're like, yeah, but you didn't say that. So I have to tell you Mm -hmm. Like, I, I got to tell you this. I'm like, oh, boy. So this is good to be interested every year without fail. And then they come out and they're like, but I had all fours in eighth grade. I'm like, I don't know what the hell a four is. Is that 100? <laughs> tell your teacher you didn't deserve it. <laughs> no, but that's that's what we get in college, too. That's what we get. Like, it's just... um. One of my one of my friends, he had a problem with a student who couldn't answer the question. Like he just like, you know, just answer this question. What is freedom to you? That's it. That's the question. And you know, there was a student that really struggled. Like she needed more guidelines. I've had another friend who actually left academia because she just couldn't take it anymore. Um, because the student changed so much. Like, she's like, I can't teach this. Yeah. Like the student, she, because of the pandemic, she made, um, she made it a little bit more free. She made, she put in flexibility within the syllabus so that they don't get stressed out. A student complained that um, she didn't think she was gonna pass because um, there's no opportunity for feedback because the professor didn't give hard deadlines for assignments. The student complained about that. <laughs> and, and it was just like, my friend was just like, you know what? I think I'm just retired from academia, like just do my own thing because this is ridiculous. And she got in trouble for it too. When you're actually told to be more flexible to the students, 
she was too flexible and it's just like it's a pandemic <laughs> like <laughs> like exactly what do you want us to do it's a pandemic the student and they what do you want me to do with this like none of this is ideal we are setting and i'm going to be inclusive in this we are setting this next generation up for failure so i'm taking this class and one of the books that we've been using parts of is um i forgot the name of it but the author's name is thomas friedman and he's basically talking about how america has gone from being number one in the world to like not even in the top 10 because of this idea that america has felt they will always be on top and so they start giving subpar work and now other countries are catching up and surpassing right we see that mm -hmm. china and this new generation now is coming and he's like if they don't understand how to fall in line with the hyper connectivity of the world they're going to be lost and one of the examples he gave was for the small college and their was an increase i i want to say they had about 300 applicants um from asian countries who had perfect scores on their sats mm -hmm. perfect math scores on their sats and he was saying that now we said when he was in school there was like one foreign exchange student no big deal but now these students, right, these American students who feel, oh, I would just get into the school because, you know, as a legacy kid, my dad, my grandfather went there mm -hmm. or whatever, they aren't realizing that, no, you now have to compete with these foreign students who are coming in with perfect SAT scores, probably speak better English than you do, and are more connected to what is happening in the world. Like, there is no guarantee for you anymore just because you're American. And that issue of entitlement, you see it all over the place when individuals go and visit other countries and they automatically feel those people in the other country should speak mm -hmm. English because they speak English, right? Or they yeah. automatically should get this job because their grandfather worked there or they have a, a particular um, name, you know? And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. And the rest of the world is doing what they can, busting their behind so that they can stay on top and they're surpassing you. And that is what's happening in education. Like kids are just being taught this formula. They're not being taught to be critical thinkers, to problem solve, to be innovative. It's just, you just do it. Like here's a math problem. They answer the 10 questions and they give it back. They don't try to do it any differently. They don't try to change the problem or figure out how to be more efficient. And then they wonder why they're getting left behind. I don't know. It's partly that like there's some of the younger generation that give me hope, um, but it really depends on who their parents were, obviously how involved their parents were in their education as well as like where they went to school mm -hmm. and that's unfortunate it shouldn't be like that like you could have just went to any school when I was growing up I went to public school and all schools were kind of good it just was based on what environment you wanted to be in mm -hmm. even like the so-called bad violent junior high schools the kids learned <laughs> like <laughs> You know, a lot of us, you know, even the people I know that were in the lower classes, because, you know, the numbers were rankings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they realized that kids realized that in junior high, but we knew. Like, the lower your number is, the higher you are um, in the ranking in your school. But all, of, all the kids I know, they still, they went off and did really well. So, I mean, uh I don't know. I just, I just, what I think is wrong is standardized testing, how it, how it is now. 
and what because you know when I was younger we took a citywide test it was just a test it was just like two days and that's it it wasn't even something that the teachers talked about you just learned during school and I also realized that when I was younger the teachers have more control of their classroom it wasn't somebody teaching, telling them how they're supposed to be teaching and what materials. Someone supposed who's to probably be never taught. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's like the teachers controlled their classroom mm-hmm. and that type of academic freedom that I think you find more so in higher ed. You used to find it in lower ed, but that got, that was taken away from you guys. So I think if they go back to it, I think that's, those kids would be better off. Yeah. Cause like, imagine like if you didn't have to like come in with your lesson plan and have somebody who don't even teach review your lesson plan (laughs) and then tell you what you're doing is wrong. Like sis, this ain't your class. Yeah. Like, you know, somebody shouldn't be reviewing your lesson plan. It should be like, this is what I'm teaching. This is how I'm teaching. They'll pass the test when I'm done. Yeah, you know, and in some schools, it does, you actually have administration who has experience in the classroom and they're helpful. And there are other places where these individuals have never stepped foot in a classroom outside Mm -hmm. of their student teaching. Or as happens in many of the charter schools, they're business-minded individuals. Like they're just Mm -hmm. um, profit margins and how to, increase that so they turn what would be the financial numbers into the standardized standardized testing numbers you know the product mm-hmm. oh we just want to show that we've pushed out x amount of kids that scored this on an exam and we'll do it whichever way we yeah. need to. so whether that means which i've seen there's been stories about it where one school i think it was down south when it gets this was a few years ago but when they it was time for their standardized test they would suspend the students who would who do who did poorly on the practice exams Mm -hmm. that way they're more likely to have better numbers yes when the results come in So basically the low achieving students, they'd get them suspended, whatever, they're out of school during that testing time. So they couldn't screw with their numbers. Or there was that whole scandal where, what is it, the principal or the teacher took the test or Mm -hmm. annually changed the numbers? Yeah. I mean, I, I forgot whose capstone it was, but somebody even discussed like how, um, the whole school culture thing and the suspensions in some of the charter schools, it, it really coincides with who they feel should and should not be in the school mm-hmm. just to drive up their test scores. I mean, charter schools are problematic just with the amount of them there are um, because it's causing a brain drain and a parent drain on the public school system. If all the most involved parents are sending their kids to charter schools, of course, it's going to seem better because they have a more more robust parent body. Yeah. And all the parents who couldn't be bothered with that really ridiculous application that we know by one of our fellow classmates Mm -hmm. is crap Mm -hmm. because the algorithm is based on a predictive model, but Mm -hmm. whatever. you know, those parents go to their zone school and they can't be bothered and they don't have time. So like when, you know, me, an involved parent stumbles into a classroom, I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna make a lesson plan for you for this. And da, 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 da. Do the kids need this? Like, you know, that's me, mom. And of the, the 30 kids in my daughter's class, it's me and like four other moms that do that. The rest of the kids is kind of just along for the ride. But it's unfortunate because I don't know how well that class would do without us there. 
right trying to push it ahead yeah and that doesn't mean that the kids who are underperforming deserve to be mistreated because Mm -hmm. their parents are unable or unwilling to be involved you know the students the the kids still deserve a a fair chance but Mm -hmm. they don't get it because they may end up in a class where every all the other kids' parents are like their own, who just drop them off at the babysitter, quote unquote, and pick them up at the end of the day. And they don't have yeah. time for homework. They're not asking about their day. They're not trying to really be involved. Yeah. And that's and that's why public schools are failing. It's just like there's not enough support for the parents. Like if there was. I think it would be very different. I just think that there's not a lot of support for parents, especially moms. Like it's it's a lot different now than it was back then mm-hmm. because when I was six, it was perfectly acceptable for me to go outside and play by myself. Right. Ain't nobody was looking, <laughs> nobody looking for my mom, nobody wondering where she is. I knew where my borders were. I could go as far as this end and as far as this house and I would just walk back and forth mm-hmm. or ride the and, bike and or not. ride your bike or something yeah. but you know you can't do that with your kids now so you have to watch them at all times and it's just it makes parenting very different it's just like you have to be fully responsible for them at all times but you can't be a complete helicopter planet Uh, parents so it's just like you know it it's it's unsustainable (laughs) I'll say that because trust me if I could throw this one back in the backyard (laughs) I would but I have to I have to sit out there with her (laughs) because you know I have to watch I gotta watch her but trust me when I was little and I was thrown into a backyard nobody's watching me no you're fine and nobody's troubling you or anything you just go and you play I remember we used to have a little pool um in the backyard you know what those little pop-up mm-hmm. pool and the only issue we had with <laughs> with the pool I remember my parents say how oh, they're in their bed and they're hearing the splashing because one day they forgot they didn't empty <laughs> the water and they're hearing the splashing and wondering who in the pool this time of night? Like, what's going on? When they look, it's raccoon swimming <laughs> in the pool. So, like, that was our biggest, you know, our biggest concern. But, of course, I mean, that was years ago and times and things have changed. And, unfortunately, kids aren't, you know, living in certain places, kids aren't allowed to be kids. Mm-hmm. You know, there are individuals who want to take away their childhood in various forms. Mm-hmm. Has to be more diligent, you know, or even sometimes seemingly over overprotective. You know, so. Well, I mean, I'm gonna push back on that because kids were getting kidnapped back <laughs> when we was young. True. You remember them milk box children? Milk box children. True. You find a new child on every single milk box. That is true. So it's not like it didn't exist. It's just, I guess, technology makes it a little easier to do it. Okay. Um, okay. And technology also probably makes it more um, seem more prevalent because yeah. the media and people post who's missing and help me find this child. Well, it's also because like parents, like they be in their phones instead of paying attention to their kid or it's like they're not completely paying attention. So it's like the kid may run off mm-hmm. and do something. So that's that's the only thing. Yeah. But I mean, I just like that may make it easier. Like I remember that little girl in New Jersey who got kidnapped at the park like her mom was on the phone and somebody just snatched up from mm-hmm. out the park. So it's like, you kind of have to be like really aware. It's just, that happened a lot Yeah, when we were younger 
but we ain't have mommy at the park with us. We would go to the park with our friends or we, you know, if, you know, if that was a close by park or you just walk around the block with your friends. So typically your neighbors would kind of, whoever, you know, whoever the older person is who sit outside, yeah. they're paying attention. The neighborhood watch, the unofficial neighborhood watch. Yeah, but you don't see a lot of that now because a lot of the neighbors got like the neighborhoods have gotten uprooted because of gentrification. So, yeah. And so people are not sure who to trust or they um, feel it's not their business. It's not their place to say anything. And you're right. Communities don't look the same anymore. Very, very few of them still look the same. yeah i think my mom's block is the only place i've seen that still like when we was younger we just be outside and i was like one of the older teenagers so i'd be outside or i'd listen out for the younger kids that's outside Mm -hmm. or like you know the other people across the street will always look out for the kids so it wasn't anything like that and it still happened now people still kind of just sit outside and there ain't that many kids no more but they still out there paying attention yeah so i know we spent we we spent most of our time talking about education which needs to be talked about because there's a lot going on there yeah i know one of your other um one of your passions i'll use that word is um you're like sci-fi stuff i know you're very yeah. much into <laughs> like your sci-fi i don't want i don't want you to kill me if i get it wrong i believe you're a star wars i'm both star I'm wars star and- wars and star trek, star trek? i just okay. yes i do both okay um, yes, I know that you talk about them a lot and you, I ain't even going to pretend like I know half the time what you're talking <laughs> about I, I really don't. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a full Star Wars movie. Any of them. Um, Star Trek, the original, I'm sure I saw a couple of episodes back in the 90s um, but as reruns, but yeah I, well the original it's like it's good foundational material but you really like they're gonna hate me for saying it but you really don't need to watch it i focus on the next generation deep space nine i think is one of the best discovery voyager like those star treks are really good the original is kind of like can't be i mean it's good you just need to watch like maybe two of the movies wrath of Khan, in the first movie and you kind of that's it you know that's all you need to know i don't know anything only thing i know um i went to this conference back in 2019 and i met george george taki and i got his takei yeah was it takei yes george takei even worse can't even pronounce the man's name but i met (laughs) him and i really and i got his book (laughs) and um, i read a very good book um about his when he was younger oh yeah the um the japanese internment camp yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they was it they called us enemy I believe it's the name. yeah yeah i remember when he was talking about it it's like i learned about it in u.s history but it turns out a lot of people didn't know about that so. i can't say that i learned it in u.s history i really don't remember maybe i did and it was so you know, such a quick lesson. It wasn't one that stuck. Um, I think it was definitely more in my adult years that I learned about it. Oh, like I learned a lot. Like I could say that like I had a very strange, well, it, it was, I won't say strange. It was extraordinary um, high school experience. I'll say that because there's nothing, there's nothing that I've seen, even the school as it is right now, it's not like how it was when I was younger. Like the U.S. history we learned is, and even some of the English classes, like the books we read 
I didn't read Great Gatsby. I didn't read nothing. <laughs> like the only thing I may have read was like what Grapes of Wrath. But other than that, like all those English books that they expect you to read mm-hmm. before you get to college, I didn't read any of those mm. other than The Great Gatsby. After that, like books that I read in high school, we were reading in college, like Beloved. We read that at freshman year. Oh, wow. Um, things Fall Apart, freshman year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so when we got to In Gifted Hands, like, so when we got to, um, that one. <laughs> yeah, we're not, but you know, it was all the rave back in oh, the 90s. Oh yeah, definitely. That was <laughs> in, the, in the 90s. Yes. We ain't know Mr. Gifted Hands was high on drugs, but, um, you know, so like, I was like really prepared for college. Like I read a lot of books that most college students read in their first year when I was in my freshman year of high school so I would say like my education was pretty extraordinary for that reason that's like when we learned world history and U.S. history it was kind of like it wasn't sugar-coated I'll mm-hmm. say that so yeah. but back to sci-fi what is the burning question of sci-fi I just I don't know how did you get into it Oh, well, I kind of always kind of liked it, but I think what kind of like really got me was my third grade teacher. She was a big sci-fi fan and every Friday was fun Friday. That was her thing that I introduced into my daughter's (laughs) pre-K. I was like, well, I'll make Fridays more fun. How about I have a fun Friday? That's from my third grade teacher, Miss Oliver. Um... Every Friday, she would show a movie, and it would be mostly sci-fi movies that she liked. So, you know, she did some of the Disney stuff. But one day, she brought in Star Wars. <laughs> and, oh, my God, I couldn't get enough. It was the end. <laughs> this is, like, the late 90s. So this movie, is, it came out in, what, 1980, 1979 or something like that. So this is an old movie. She watched it. All of us were like blown away. So yeah, like me and one of my friends who was in my third grade class, he's a big sci-fi fan too. And I'm just like, I really feel like it was this teacher who brought in her, you know, her love of sci-fi. And I was just like, oh my God, I love this stuff. I need more of this. So, but like, I, you know, sci-fi is big in like parts of my family like my great-grandfather he liked Doctor Who okay so he would have them on these little tapes so like if I was in Jamaica he'd be like come and he'd make us why he'd call us uncultured youth so he would have to teach us things so we watch (laughs) (laughs) uncultured youth come come watch some good stuff so he we watched Doctor Who together, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Um, was it Gone with the Wind? Like he made us watch all them oldies. And I really liked Doctor Who. So he would have me watch that with him sometimes. So it's like, I was always a little nerd, but it was just like, it didn't ramp up until like third grade. Then it was just like, this is it. This is all I need. <laughs> So how or what would you say for let me go back a little when it comes to sci-fi and I don't mean to group them together but you'll see where I'm going when it comes to like sci-fi um anime the, um, the use of graphic novels they they tend to only be for quote unquote a certain group of individuals not Mm -hmm. people who look like us and when kids get into um you know when black kids get into sci-fi or anime or something considered outside the culture it's like well what are you doing here or this isn't this isn't our world of of play what would you or what do you say to those kids who are like yo I just like 
like I'm a Trekkie or I like Star Wars. I like this type of, you know, books to read or movies to watch. Well, I mean, it's it's about point of view. So because it's the future, I've always, even though it only shows a certain group of people, like, you know, like most things cater to white supremacy, I never at one time felt that I never belonged in sci-fi because it was the future. And if the future is supposed to be better, there is a place for us. Like in Star Wars, you know, you have Lando Calrissian, you know, the suave, super fly black guy with a perm. You know, he's so cool. He runs a space station, like, ah, you know, there's space for blackness in sci-fi more so than I've seen in other genres. It's not like it was like the black character wasn't just a token character without use. They tend to be very important in the um, scheme of things and memorable. Whereas in like dramas or even horror movies like if it's like a mostly white cast and you're the black person you probably want to die first like that's just a rule um (laughs) so it's one of those things where in I find that in sci-fi or even in anime it's about the fantasy of it and because of the character development um you will always see yourself inside um inside of it like I wouldn't I don't know I just it's it's hard to answer but yeah I mean I was in a reading group when we're talking we're talking about critical race theory and I was just like you know this reminded me of Star Trek and they were just like go on and I'm just (laughs) like you know explaining how I view whiteness through the lens of um star trek and i was just like white supremacy is the borg where they assimilate you into just the mechanics of being a cyborg but you lose your individualism Mm -hmm. so as whiteness grows in this country people become less irish less italian Mm -hmm. less norwegian less scandinavian they lose all of that and they just become this one conglomerate group of just whiteness. This sounds like your dissertation. No, I could do a whole TED talk on sci-fi, honestly, but you know, nobody would pay me Just to put do that. that out there. <laughs> no, I could. Like I explained it and they were just like, can you talk more about this? Because this is interesting. Like I could do a whole presentation on it it's just like you know there sci-fi I find is a good way to critique the world that we live in like if you watch it from the lens of the time it was created and where they think we're going and you know look at it because I mean every part of whiteness is in Star Trek, every part. So, you know, the Bernie Sanders world is Starfleet. (laughs) Okay. No money. (laughs) You don't have money. You don't have to worry about all of that. You just, um, you know, you find your purpose, you work. Um, you don't have to, your money doesn't go towards paying rent, buying food. Like you got all of that taken care of. You work for yourself. Um, but then there's the Ferengis who are like just capitalists. Um, they're greedy. They're all about profit. I mean, you know, Jeff Bezos, you would be very good as a Ferengi. <laughs> so, you know, it's like there's aspects of the world within um within sci-fi that 
if you're like really self-aware and aware of the world, you'll get it. So it's for everyone. Okay. If you can get into a, it. That was a very good <laughs> intro lesson on <laughs> sci-fi. I appreciate that. Um, if I was to give it a try, where where should I start? Oh, that's that's hard. It depends on where you want to go. So like if you wanted to do Star Wars, I would say just start from the beginning. Start from the movie, see how you feel about it. It's not for everyone. Um, if you're doing Star Trek, if you're Black, I would start with Deep Space Nine. Okay. And then go back to Star Trek The Next Generation and then go forward to like Voyager and stuff like that. But um, if, you know, if you're not Black, uh, you just start with the next generation. You really don't need to watch the original. <laughs> don't hate me. Please, no hate mail. Um, but yeah, that's where I would start. Okay. Do you watch any, do you do any other sci-fi besides the stars? Yes. I do all I do almost all of them there's some that I just like I don't like um like I watched Lovecraft County that was amazing Watchmen was like okay that was like a mixture of critical race theory and sci-fi together it was just so I really hope that Watchmen I know Watchmen is not going to get a second season. I understand why, but it was one of the series that I found was really perfect. Um, an old school series, if you have time, Battlestar Galactica okay. or um, Fringe, which I thought was a more concise and complete series. Um, I watch, trust me, I'm like a dictionary of sci-fi shows. So it's based on how you feel like, Oh, I want something campy and weird, but a little funny. The Magicians um, on sci-fi is really good. Okay. Yeah, it just depends on how you feel. If you're whimsy, whimsy is always fun. Okay. I mean, check it out one day. I do have, honestly, a couple books that either I've gotten through book clubs or won them, you know, some contest or something um and they're just sitting there just because i'm like eh, i'm not too sure but i have had um other educator friends who are like hey i was not into sci-fi but then i read this book um mm-hmm. there was one i believe it's called Ebon- ebony it's I don't remember if that's the author's name or um the name of the book I believe the book was called Wings of Ebony okay yeah I heard that's a really good one and um another I guess it's more fantasy but people talk about children of blood and bone or that was a very good oh okay yeah and then there's children of virtue and vengeance i think is the follow-up um to that so that's i haven't read any of them but they are on my list of sci-fi that actually that's like really really good sci-fi fantasy I'll be completely honest, after grad school, I haven't really read much for pleasure um, at all because I spent a lot of time reading for work. Mm. And so I stopped reading. Like I have books that I bought and I'm like, yes, I'm going to read them. I'm going to read them. And I buy more books that I'm going to read. And I still just, yeah, I'll read like the first page. I mean, I do blame grad school because... (laughs) because remember the amount of reading we had to do for workshop oh yeah 
oh my gosh and I still have some of those books like yeah I'm gonna once I finish I'm gonna read them <laughs> here we are almost 10 years no. later <laughs> I mean we had to do so much reading like I but you know for the those for those of us that went on to work in policy and stuff like that um I know that they could eat through those 500 page briefs yeah <laughs> in like three hours because we had to read so yeah. much it was crazy it was but it was with like preparation crazy. I mean shout out to Hunter Urban Affairs Department I think it's now called Urban Policy and Planning they changed it the yeah degree. they changed wow. it I mean like damn changed my degree too so people could understand I mean it was so hard to explain to people like well what is it it's interdisciplinary interdisciplinary with what everything it's <laughs> yeah. like what do you mean everything everything economics <laughs> education yeah anthropology policy we learned all of that education policy everything was in sociology that we did everything yeah i mean it was definitely a good experience i don't regret the degree i know mm -mm. especially my parents were like what are you doing with that what are you doing with that degree but it has definitely um helped and even now this class i'm taking away i talk to kids about policy i'm like yo this this is this and they're like how do you know this stuff i was like my urban affairs class <laughs> yeah we know a lot about policy like we can eat through some stuff we like look this don't make no sense yeah. we need to clarify this part and they're like you read this whole thing uh -huh. Yes, I did. It's 30 pages. Yeah, I read it 30 minutes ago. Let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's one of those things that I'm just like, man, they had us trained. Yep. So true. So I know we spent quite a bit of time talking. Mm -hmm. I know you have a little one and work to get back to. So my final question for you is what does a conscious blend mean to you? A conscious blend. Oh man, one of these critical thinking questions. I went to charter school. No, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. No dig at the charter school parents. That's your that's your choice, but please. No shade, parents. No shade, but <laughs> no shade, but please teach them that they need to learn critical thinking questions and that mommy can't help them in college please don't call my office no more um i mean it's kind of it's like all right that's that's a good question it's it's basically being self-aware but also world aware like you have to be aware of yourself as a person your surroundings as well as like your place in the world and where you could be the stone to make the ripple so um i guess i guess that's what it means to me all right sounds good see you there struggling a bit but you got it listen man i was not prepared for that question what you went to be from self-aware but to be world aware that that, that yeah. works that it works like a t-shirt oh my gosh i'm self-aware and world aware listen i'm a slogan girl i've come up with so many slogans like my most famous one that you may see spinning around the internet is Hashtag austerity is anti-black. That's me. So that that that's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean that you know, I do a little I, I do a lot of little stuff on the side. Like I do a little bit of activism um with my union. Mm -hmm. So yes, I definitely just, seeing that, especially in like the heights of yeah, COVID and every and quarantine yeah and it's just like you know austerity is anti-black 
we've been living in austerity for so long mm-hmm. um and you can see its effect on our neighborhoods and the people who suffer the most um through austerity no matter where they are in the world are black people so austerity is inherently anti-black yeah true <laughs> very true Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, sis. I appreciate it. No problem. Good to chop it up with you a bit. I know it has been a long time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just put it like that. It's been, but it's, we've been so busy. You listen, busy. And then like COVID didn't help any. COVID hasn't helped any in the quarantine, you know, just trying to keep stay safe and stay sane <laughs> mm-hmm. in the midst of everything but thanks for taking time out of your day and chopping it up a bit you know i appreciate it thank you for the sci-fi lesson <laughs> anytime i anytime. will let you know when i either get through a book or a movie <laughs> watch it while you're doing the laundry <laughs> okay that's I think that's the best advice I could give you you'll really get through it with laundry okay so listeners we will we will watch it while we're doing laundry